I'm Chip Bach, and welcome to Blue Rock. On each episode, we'll discuss what life is like on this big blue rock, where we are all headed, separately and together, what changes we need to make to ourselves, the planet, and towards each other, and just discuss what daily life is like for your fellow crew. And maybe, just maybe, we may also see a commonality that connects all of us. Welcome to another episode of Blue Rock. Today we've got a fantastic guest. I am very excited uh, to have this person on the show. His name is Mark Anthony. He's a psychic explorer, also known as the psychic lawyer. He's a fourth generation psychic medium, communicates, does communicate with spirits, but he's also an Oxford educated attorney, licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington, D.C., and the United States Supreme Court. Mark has traveled the entire world. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit on the, uh, on the episode today. He's appeared on nationwide TV and radio shows, including CBS TV's The Doctors, Gaia TV's Beyond Belief with George Norrie. By the way, Gaia TV is my Netflix. Absolutely love that show. Was very excited to see Mark on it. Please, when you're done with this, go to Gaia, watch Mark's episode. It's awesome. Uh, he's also the co-host of The Psychic and the Doc on the Transformation Network. He's been a featured speaker at conferences and expos universities, uh, which include Brown, Columbia, Harvard, and Yale. Uh, he's also a columnist for Best Holistic Life magazine. He's the author of The Afterlife Frequency, published by New World Library. We're going to talk about that today. That's his new book. But he's also got some other bestsellers uh, that we're going to talk a little bit about, Never Letting Go, and also Evidence of Eternity. So, please, a huge round of applause and a welcome to Blue Rock, Mark Anthony. Mark, they're very excited. Everybody's very excited to, to have you here. I'm going to try and calm them down a little bit. You can hear they're, they're, it's standing O for you. You know, you may not be able to see it, but trust me, energetically, that's what's happening. Uh, well, thanks, all right, guys, Jim. you got you to calm down. Everybody's got to calm down. We're going to try and see. They're, they're starting to get into their seats. Hold on. Just give them a second. All right, everybody sit down. I know we're excited that Mark's here. Okay. Thanks, cool. Chip. Well, it's an honor to be here. I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this because, you know, the audience may not know, but I've known you for, gosh, at least five or six years, maybe yeah, longer. Yeah. And uh, I've always been very impressed with the work that you're doing. And Blue Rock just nails it because that's what we are. We're on a blue rock orbiting a star and we are traveling through space. And uh, thank you for having me on the show. No, no, no worries. Yeah, we're look, we're all on the same crew. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. And obviously, with what you're doing, you're talking to crew members um, that not all of us get to talk to, or maybe some of us are, and we don't actually know it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So Mark, you know, obviously, from the intro, you're a fourth generation psychic. Um, talk a little bit about that. Because what I what I want to make sure everybody's clear here is that sometimes when we're talking about psychics and mediums, you know, and Mark and I, you and I talk about, we joke about this all the time. You're not in a little purple tent with a crystal ball and a, and a <laughs> turban on your head uh, uh, working at the carnival. Um, no. You're, you're, it's, there's a science behind this. Uh, yes. There's something that you're genetically more predisposed to than the average right. 
person on this planet. It doesn't, you know, as, as we'll get into, it doesn't really, it doesn't mean that we can't experience some of what you experience, but it, you genetically have something going on that others don't, but it's not woo woo and it's not, you know, uh, a trick. It's really rooted in science. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. This, uh, when I say this, I mean spirit communication, the ability to perceive spirits and what has been in the modern era termed psychic and mediumistic abilities appears to be or is rather a genetic trait that runs in my family. And it's what's known as a recessive genetic trait. For example, it's genetic whether or not you're right-handed or left-handed. 90% of the people in the world are right-handed, so that's what's known as a dominant uh, genetic trait. Left-handed is recessive, meaning that it can skip a generation or two. And so both my mother and my father had mediumistic abilities, and I've tracked it on both sides of the family chip going back at least into the 1890s. So that's why you know we say that I'm a fourth generation psychic medium. It reasons to, to assume that there were people with these abilities prior to that. But it was hard getting, it was hard enough getting the information going back into the 1890s and uh, 1900. And um, my mother's side of the family hails from Italy and the Italian side of the family, Chip, they looked at this as a gift from God. And They're my a little mother, more open to it. Yeah. Very open to Compared it. Compared to and more Western societies, yeah. Exactly. And my mother's grandmother, my maternal great-grandmother, her name was Giovanna, and she, she came over to the United States in, um, gosh, it had to be around 1900. And she was known in the Italian-American community of North New Jersey and New York City, Little Italy. I, I like to like um, Tony Soprano's stomping grounds as uh, she was known as the woman who knows things. And what's really fascinating is back in 2016, PBS, Public Broadcasting um, uh, System, they did a four-hour special called The Italian-Americans, and there was actually a segment on Giovanna, and they referenced her psychic abilities. And I remember wow. when it aired, and my cousins, we all knew about this, and we're all calling each other on the, the commercial breaks, and, and uh, we were really excited about that. And then my dad's side of the family, they came from Pennsylvania, and they were very conservative Pennsylvanian Baptists. In fact, yeah. my great-great-grandfather actually founded a Baptist church in their hometown, and my dad, his sister Marjorie, his mother... Isbel and his maternal grandmother Grace were all mediums. So my dad was a Navy SEAL, and when he got out of the Navy, he was at a dance. And it's so funny because uh, I remember, you know, my parents had passed on, but I remember when them talking about how they met. My dad, you know, he was this cocky young sailor, and he goes, "I saw this foxy-looking dame." He's talking about my mom, you know, and he was all of I think 21, and she was 19. Well, he thought she was like. 30 because my mom was a, a commercial illustrator and a fashion designer and she worked for this high-end department store and mom said she got all the designer clothes you know at the employee price so there she was decked to the nines and they, they danced and and after a couple dates my mother said you know before we we you know we had this connection there's something i have to tell you about me she says i see spirits 
and my dad's response, and I'll I'll give the G-rated version, was blank blank blank. I do too. <laughs> and <laughs> so funny. so their yeah their connection it it wasn't just a physical thing. It was so a very Mark. I want something thing. I want to interject here. You know, so yeah. this is what I was finding reading your book, and you know, you know, I've talked a lot, and I le- <laughs> It's amazing to me how when you write your books, you give a little bit more piece away of you each time. So it's like, I feel like when I talk to you, you share stuff. Then I go and read your books and I'm like, why the hell didn't he mention this when we were like, what the hell's going on? So in this one, man, I got to tell you, this is where that whole, and we'll talk about synchronicity and how we're all connected by a common thread. So here you are talking again. Now this part of this story, you didn't even have, I, again, now this is another one I'm hearing first time, yeah. even though yeah. I've learned more about you and your dad and all that stuff. But my dad was a World War II veteran. Uh, my grandfather okay. had to sign papers when he was 17 so he could join um he ended up uh on an lci invasion barge uh first wave into utah beach okay um yeah after that when he got back he was at a uso dance in washington dc meets my mom now my mom had had left high school a week after graduation she was she was born in bartlesville oklahoma she was like i gotta get the hell out of this place was on a bus 17 also heading over to washington dc she meets my dad he's now i think 18 19 at this point <clears throat> my mom is still 17 meets him at the uso dance that was it that that's how they that's how they met um and then he ended up becoming a uh, navy tin hat diver after the war and i wow. know your dad became a diver also so yeah just want to drop that in there man because there's wi- a, a lot of link well, anyway, go keep going it's a it's amazing, Chip, because, I mean, you know, our backgrounds are, are so similar. And what's been really amazing, not just with the afterlife frequency, but with my other two books, uh, Evidence of Eternity and Never Letting Go, how many people have contacted me and said how they can relate. There's things in there. And, and you know, I, I think that that's part of what we're doing on this show is showing how we're all one human family. You know, we're, yeah. we're all interconnected yeah. um, because, you know, people, there's a very primitive mindset of us versus them. And I'm not aware this, of that, Mark. <laughs> I don't see that anywhere in this world. What are you talking about? Yeah, not at all. It's, and it's, one, hu- it, it, it's one giant human love chain. Are you kidding me? I thought that's how we, we don't operate like that. <laughs> yeah, and it's well, it's a very primitive thing. And, you know, it's like, you know, let's yeah. go back to the Stone Age when Og... Og's, Og's tribe didn't like Trog's tribe because they looked a little bit different or they were different. So us versus them. And then it started, you know, expanding and then it became uh, the basis on race and on culture and on religion and on politics. And, you know, I'm looking at, uh, and I don't want to get political, but I'm looking at what's going on in Europe now with the Ukraine. And it's like, yeah, yeah. really, same old story. Okay, the Ukraine. Napoleon wanted it. Kaiser Wilhelm wanted it, Stalin wanted it, Hitler wanted it. Are we seeing a reoccurring pattern? And why it's can't everybody... It's amazing how people keep, keep fighting over we, the same piece of rock, right? Yeah. Well, it, it's well because it's a major food producer. It's Correct. the breadbasket of Europe. But the thing is, it's us versus them. Instead of saying, yeah. we have to dominate you, it's like, well, why don't we just do trade agreements and we all trade together and we don't attack each other? Because, you know, let's face it, peace is a lot cheaper than war <laughs> okay somebody um, somebody told me the other day we, the the planet or modern history 
has only had 260 years. There's, there's been 260 years of consistent war. Like just nonstop. Like the, it just has not stopped. We're not even talking about ancient history. We're just talking about modern, you know, 19th, 20th century. There's been right. 260 some odd years of constant war. And it feels like um, every time we, I don't know whether you noticed this, but I was, I actually was looking at it on a calendar. About every 10 years, we have a new enemy. I don't know if you yep. notice that, but we go back to yep. about a 10 year cycle and every 10 years, there's a brand new one magically well, the us, pops the us up somewhere. An, the us the versus us them. gets yeah. a new them. Yeah. We get a, right. a new them. Yeah. yeah it doesn't and, matter uh, what the details are or, or what side it is. It's just, there's always this competition well, I, and to I, take I, it I as, guess, go ahead. I, yeah, I guess Russia got annoyed not being the subject of a bunch of Tom Clancy <laughs> novels. So now, you know, and it's funny because, you know, Putin is acting like Tsar Vladimir the first, you know, and yeah. it, it, it's it's I've, I've looked at Russianologists who've been analyzing him and he sees himself as a Peter the Great, the heir oh, yeah. of Catherine the Great, and he's going to reestablish a Russian empire. And it's like, yeah, that always goes well. Um, yeah. but, but this is exactly what we were talking about is the us versus them syndrome. And I think that the important evolution in, in human development is getting beyond that. And the thing is, Chip, there's nothing new about that concept. I mean, this is something that uh, Krishna talked about, that Buddha talked about, certainly Jesus, Zoroaster, every but great But they spoke about us leader. all being interconnected as equals, it, not ex adversaries, right? Exactly. We're all the children of God, or we're all cells in the body of God. Or and, of light. We'll get into it. Or that. of light. And I've been very <laughs> fortunate because throughout the course of my life, I've met some, some astronauts. I, I've met and uh, I've met John Glenn. Wow. I met Buzz Aldrin. I met um, Neil well, your Armstrong. Dad, your dad worked on the Apollo 13. Besides being a Navy SEAL, he worked, also worked yeah, on the on Apollo, the Apollo 13 missions, project, right? Right, and he worked directly with Chuck Yeager. Um, wow. And and so I remember having, I actually had about a 20-minute conversation with John Glenn. And that, I was just like, oh, my God, Dude. you know, the first man to, you know, circle the, the globe. And then uh, at the time, the oldest person to go into space on the space shuttle. But right. now Captain Kirk, uh, you know, um, just went up uh, and uh, Jeff Bezos. Is he is, older? Uh, was he older than Glenn, though? Yeah, Glenn, Glenn was? was 76 and William Shatner was 90 years old. Oh, and it, what's fascinating is apparently space travel's okay for people in their 90s. They didn't find any <laughs> uh, physio. Yeah. So, hey, something to look forward to. But um, in, it, but I was really taken with what William Shatner said, and it was very similar to what John Glenn told me. And what John Glenn said, he said, Mark, when you're looking down on Earth and you see this beautiful blue, green, he said, you see the clouds and you can feel the life. You can feel how alive it is. He said, and then it dawned on me, this is the only place we have to live. Yeah. And, and William Shatner said pretty much the same thing. He said, you look at the earth and you see life. He goes, and then you see this very thin band around it, our atmosphere. And he said, you look into the void of space and it's death. And it's a shame that we can't send all the, the, nation, the, the world's leaders 
into space for 20 minutes and have them look at it because we now and and i this is no secret and this is no mystery humans have developed military technology that can destroy life on this planet yeah. as we know it yeah and you know yeah it's great that uh, elon musk wants to go to mars and and it's great that you know we're sending probes out looking for other planets but the fact of the matter is we're centuries away from being able to colonize some other planet. I mean, even if you can go to Mars, you can't breathe the atmosphere there. You know, we'd have to right. be building these domes. And so people need to understand that this big blue rock that we're floating through space on, this is it. This, this is, is our where ship. we live. This yeah, is it's, our ship. It's not ship. about our borders, whatever no. team we want to pick. It's not about teams, um, which, by the way, you know, one of the things I find fascinating is, uh, and people don't realize this, you know, we're taught, you know, I'm very big on, I've kind of awoken in the last, in the later part of my life uh, to the fact that we're obviously, you know, there's a, there's a heavy program going on, uh, not just here in the United States, but globally, right? It starts when you're in kindergarten. Um, it's the reason why the little kids, when they're born, they don't see, you know, the difference between colors of skin or religion. There's no competition in, in, in the... No. Um, it, a baby they're not pushing the bassinets away from each other it doesn't <laughs> no. it doesn't exist right so right. It, it becomes created but my my point being is is that you know we're taught darwinism right uh you know as as evolution and, and the cornerstone of that was survival of the fittest right the the, the whole right. concept of competition yet darwin even admitted people don't realize at the end of his book he admits hey this is just a theory i don't actually know if it's right and I fully anticipate it to be uh, overturned in his own lifetime. And it was. They, they determined that, you know, and I know you've delved into this, that all living things, that competition like we have as humans on this planet doesn't exist in nature. We use this analogy like, oh, but the lion is the king of the bee. No, no, no. The lion's just feeding its family. It's not right. taking over the Serengeti for the sake of I need to own everything. That's not how it works so when you look everything actually works in harmony we're, so now it, we become the only balance. species that doesn't yeah. work in harmony with each other right we're constantly you know we're raised like i played i played uh college football uh you know competitive sports um look that was the upbringing right that was the program and, and what did all the signs the the rah-rah signs and stuff on the sides of the buses beat them kill them destroy them <laughs> you know uh and then it goes into the business world i've been in sales my whole life same thing crush the other guy just annihilate them. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that works. Yeah, I was in the practice of law. You know, yes, I'm an attorney, Case but I'm point. focusing now <laughs> on my spiritual work. And, you know, they teach us in law school that um, our, our system is the adversarial system. You know where it comes from? It was an evolution through medieval English uh, history of if you had a dispute in the Middle Ages you hired a champion to fight your opponent's champion and who won that and then that evolved into jousting and then it started evolving into the adversarial trial system now to some extent this is very productive but what's turned what it's turned into is that truth and justice are nice slogans but the reality is who can outmaneuver who who's got more leverage who's got more money who's got more power Right. And, you know, it's and, and the thing is, though, um, I still would would rather. 
put my fate in the hands of the American jurisprudential legal system than I would in the Russian, Chinese, Iranian, or Taliban. Sure. It's not <laughs> okay? perfect, but it's, it's better than perfect. anything else at the moment. Yeah, agreed. E exactly. Agreed. And and I've been I've been in many parts of the world, and and I write about this in the afterlife frequency. And I'm not not going to tell the stories because you know I want want people to read them, <laughs> where I've encountered the legal systems and the yeah. ramifications uh, of other countries. And um, one one story that that's not in there. Um, I was in Peru, and somehow or other, um, I misplaced my plane ticket. I didn't. I had a roommate that, you know, because when you were traveling there, they, you know, we had roommates. And, and for some reason, um, my ticket ended up in this guy's laundry that went and got laundered. And so, you know, you just don't call the airlines and report, <laughs> oh, my airline ticket. You have to go to the police and fill right. out a report. And so here I am in the Andes Mountains and I'm in this police department and the their office was freezing cold, all right. And and this is like you know the the nice part of it. Wait, and there's no I'm central thinking, there's no central heat in the Andes. I didn't know that. Uh, well, there wasn't in this police department. <laughs> and all I'm thinking is, what's in the jail cells? Which literally, because I could see them taking people right. down there. It was it was literally a dungeon. And you know they were polite to me, and and you know they weren't treating me like a criminal. But I still had to fill out all these forms and and all this. And I'm thinking, what if I had been accused of something and I was being dragged into one of these jail cells? And from what I heard is, if you're lucky, they give you a glass of water with a little bit of sugar in it and a piece of bread every day. And wow. for, forget about innocent until proven guilty. Forget about right to an attorney. Oh, you have a right to an attorney if you pay for one, but it's not like you're going to get a public defender at your first appearance. Wait a second. What's a first appearance? Don't have them. You know, so so um, the thing is, our system may not be perfect, but I'd rather deal with that. But once again, what does it do? It's right. an outgrowth of us versus a conflict, conflict, conflict. Yeah. And I've always seen what the legal system should be doing is trying to heal conflict and create a forum for resolution as opposed to everything has to be adversarial. And shouldn't forgiveness be part of that? Well, certainly, certainly. Right? I, I've seen not just in criminal cases, but in civil cases when I was doing accident litigation, sometimes the people who were injured, I mean, they certainly want their cash settlement from the insurance company, but they also wanted a personal apology from the person yeah. who, who caused the accident. Yeah. And so forgiveness is a very powerful tool. Um, I write about that in, in all my books. Um, I know in my book, Never Letting Go, I explained that forgiveness is a gift that you give yourself. And holding anger, resentment, bitterness, and hatred is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Now, when that person that you're you talked about that with, in this book, I remember you talked yeah, I about, talk that, about in this that in too. this yeah. book quite a bit. When when the other person that you're angry with has died, wow, does that get ever complicated? And so that's one of the the healing uh, um, modalities, if you will, of of the afterlife right. frequency. So you know, it's funny in the last few years, and I wish I had known this when I was younger. Uh, I came up upon a uh, a theory, or not a theory, but a, um, 
something that's existed in the Polynesian cultures for centuries called, called uh, Ho'oponopono, right? So Ho'oponopono, yeah. do you know about that, what that is? Yeah, I've so heard about it. Yeah, go ahead. It's, yeah. The, it's the ancient uh, art of forgiveness. Now, this was yes. all throughout the Maori, you know, the Polynesian Islands, Tahiti, Hawaii, etc. And it was as simple as this. Uh, when a two tribes or two islands or whoever it was uh, or people within the tribe would have an argument or disagreement, uh, our U.S. legal system as an example, right? So you've got a disagreement. You simply come together and you say, I'm sorry, forgive me, thank you, I love you. And the thing is, when you're saying those, that, that mantra, you're saying it not only to the other person, but to your point, to yourself. And it is so yeah. powerful. So we adopted it here in my family. My wife, like we'll get into an argument and when you know we're just wound up, that's how we end, like we can cease it like this by just saying, "I'm sorry, forgive me, I love you." Right? And the beauty of it is, and this is the running joke, is that sometimes I have a tendency to get my wife really wound up, especially when I use, well, a, a little sidebar here, uh, Mark. I know we've talked about this before. I took the LSATs. I was, my dad really wanted me to be an attorney. When I went for that first interview to be a uh, um, uh, to be a legal assistant. It's, it's when you're in law school, but you're not a full lawyer yet. Um, paralegal. Right, right. You're so I, want, I was going in to be, yeah. yeah, whatever. I was going to be interning. So they gave me this whole scenario, and, and it was going to be in New York City. And it was a, uh, a personal injury law firm. And what happened was the scenario they gave me, I answered it correctly, but I was like, but what about the poor driver? They're now going to be you know, reap the, the, the consequences of all this. So what happened for me was I had a really tough time realizing that if I go to law soon, I become a lawyer. I may be sometimes representing something that maybe I don't necessarily disagree with, but you still have to do the job and get it done, so to speak. So what ends up happening was throughout my sales career, I've adopted the Socratic sales method, which we, I know the Socratic Q&A, right? For right. an attorney, right. you've been a, law, a, a courtroom attorney. Um, I have a bad tendency of doing that in my household. Uh, my, my wife will sometimes tell me that I am painting her into a corner and please stop lawyering me because I ask questions that only have a yes or no answer and she hates it, right? <laughs> uh, just like you probably had witnesses that hated it also. So the reason yes. why I told that story is I tend to do that and then what ends up happening is I realize what I'm doing and I'll just say, I'm sorry, forgive, I'll text it to her, I'm sorry, forgive me, I love you. But sometimes I wound her up so much, she comes into my office and goes, I don't accept your Ho'oponopono. I don't accept it. I'm still angry. And I go, but that's the beauty of Ho'oponopono. You don't have to accept it. <laughs> I'm cleansed. And she just goes, okay, fine. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I love you. But it's a beautiful thing. And I just wonder why we don't use that more. Yeah, we should. I've also heard that anger is a punishment we inflict upon ourselves for the mistake of another person. Correct. And and that is, you know, forgiveness is a very complex thing. And you talk about and that because, in this book also. Am I, oh, am absolutely. I I, there absolutely. Was a, there was quite a bit of that. Yeah, there, there's quite a bit of that because the afterlife frequency, I introduce a lot of scientific concepts, but I also illustrate them with stories that people can relate to true stories. And there's all types of, of uh, scenarios here that involve forgiveness, parents losing children and whether or not the, the parent was in any way. Uh, 
connected to the the actual death. In other words, they're not responsible. Okay, right. Let, right. Let's say you know something happened to their child and they weren't there, but it's very normal, very natural for a parent to feel guilt and. And parents wish that they were somehow superheroes that could have swung in at the last second and saved their child. And I certainly understand that. And that that debilitating guilt can just crush them. I also have uh, stories about uh, military uh, people in the military who they were the only survivor in, in a combat situation. And then they're coping with survivor's guilt. Uh, I have stories about uh, people who were... Um, in, in horrible crimes where somebody close to them was murdered and, and somehow they miraculously uh, made it through. And so this guilt is a very, very uh, insidious and pervasive uh, affliction. And, and I've heard some people say, oh, well, you're just doing that to yourself. Well, you are, but just acknowledging that doesn't make it go away. People no, need this no. sense of release, this connection. And that's one of the benefits of spirit communication is being able to connect with the spirit of a loved one, of someone that either you need forgiveness from or you feel that you do or that you want to forgive. And so forgiveness is not just something that ends with the physical death of somebody. It can be a condition which transcends that. And people can feel guilty uh, in regards to, to something that has happened to someone who's died. And spirit communication, that's one of the healing modalities, uh, is to bring love, healing, and resolution, which includes forgiveness. So this is a good point to now flip back. Your book, The Afterlife Frequency, um, kind of takes us through a journey of you kind of start with the history and science of right. what relates to now you've you've coined a couple of terms uh for yourself uh interdimensional communication uh the electromagnetic soul which i want to talk a lot about that relates to yeah. what you're just talking about obviously your raft technique um which you developed which i'm also very fascinated uh with that and it was a very cool story about how that appeared Th that one i'll uh, tell again. <laughs> <Okay>. that <laughs> one was cool because again i yeah. synchronized with that also that was very cool but so what i want to talk a little bit about is let's back into the science because right. you know obviously there's a lot that all of us right so everybody on this big blue rock can benefit from what it is what your life purpose has been and how that functions and how they may be able to even incorporate into their daily life and understanding but what I'm worried about, what I always get worried about is the minute they, well, I'm talking to spirit and people just go, oh, geez, there he is. He's a spirit guy. He's talking to spirits. Okay, whatever. I don't really believe that's true. There's science behind this now. It's not like yes, there is. 40 years yeah, ago. Yeah. So I want to talk about that, like kind of take us through, you know, uh, I loved a, a quote you put up, which was science is not a collective of truths. It's made up of mysteries ever changing, right? Right. That was in, that was a quote from your book, but it's not your quote. Who, who said that? And what I loved about it was is that it immediately dispels this whole thing that there's science and Western medicine and it's this established hard thing that's irrefutable and then well, anything else is crazy talk, right? When I was eight years old um, and, you know, my dad was my hero. You know, he, he was this Navy SEAL brave guy. He worked with astronauts 
And working with astronauts, was, man, that's every kid's dream. What is yeah, your dad? Yeah, that, that was like oh, dad he, worked he gets, with astronauts. Yeah, he's a rocket and scientist in a literal the, sense. <laughs> the thing is, he he said that I would be, from a behavioral standpoint, my parents said I was easy because you know I didn't cause a lot of trouble. But they said I was constantly asking questions. It was always why, how, why, how. Yeah, and he said, like, too. as soon as you could talk, you started asking questions. And I, was, I remember I was eight years old, and Dad and I were looking at the stars, and we were talking about. You know, he was talking about the, you know uh, space travel and all this. And I remember he said to me, Mark, there's no such thing as a mystery. There's only questions for which we do not yet have the answer. And if enough funding, research, focus, and discipline goes into any question, eventually we'll come up with the answer and it will be explainable through science. And that chip really stuck with me my entire life. And so throughout my entire life, I mean, I've been seeing spirits since I've been three and a half. I had a near-death experience at age four. I grew up with parents that could see spirits. You know, I always like to joke that, you know, we're the all-American family next door, sort of. And uh, when I was a little kid and I'd be watching TV. You're a little I, bit I more like really... I Dream a Genie, I think. Is well, yeah, was yeah, I was related to You had the NASA influence, but... Yeah, a yeah, little bit of yeah, mysticism yeah. going on yeah, there. And, yeah, and my mother's name was Jeannie, so we were totally relating a lot more to <laughs> I Dream of Jeannie than I would the Brady Bunch. And Which is uh, weird, because here your dad is commuting to Cocoa Beach every day uh, or on <laughs> exactly. a regular basis to work at Cape Canaveral, so that's kind of uh, ironic. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. so, so um, this put me on a lifelong quest to understand this. And what I found is that spirit communication is explainable through quantum physics. Right. And brief crash course, and I know you understand this, but for some of the, the listeners who may be unfamiliar, we all know, uh, we all had to take this in, in science, everything's made of molecules. Okay, we get that. Molecules in turn are made of atoms. Okay, we know that. Atoms are composed of particles known as electrons, protons, and neutrons. Right. And they are made up of yet a smaller particle known as a quantum, ergo the term quantum physics, plurals quanta. Now, for all the physics people listening, technically an electron is a quantum because it's one eighteen hundredth the size of a proton. So I got to put that out there so we don't get all this, you know, now, uh, having a, uh, to interrupt a little bit, and again, I'm I'm nowhere near your level of, of science on this, but I, I do try. I pretend to be one on TV. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I always tell that. I always lead with that. Um, quanta, they now know, is the space between what we, the known matter, correct? Is that, no, is, am I uh, right no. or am I wrong? Quantum, quanta are the smallest particle of electromagnetic energy. What's the space so, then in between that they're saying if you removed it all, as an example, uh, the planet Earth? Oh, the size uh, of that's, piece. yeah, well, then we're getting into like the Higgs boson particle, what okay. they call the anyway, God sorry. particle, and then you're getting into quarks and all these. I'm trying to, like you know, I said, we, I pretend, we I pretend, really get. I pretend to know what I'm talking about, so keep going. I'm sorry. All right, so everything at the most basic level is electromagnetic energy. Yeah. Um, now, there's other forces in the universe, such as gravity, nuclear strong, nuclear weak. But for our purposes, for our material world existence, everything is electromagnetic energy. And what that means, Chip, is that this flashlight that I'm holding here, 
on the subatomic level is made of the same electromagnetic energy that you and I are. It's just that we're vibrating at a higher frequency. So everything Correct. has its own frequency. That's also why we're all interconnected. Um, you know, That's where we usually lose people right there, Mark, by the way. I've had that conversation with people, and they're like, wait a minute. So you're telling me the desk, this desk here, is, is made of the same things as me? And I'm like, yeah, Ab- absolutely it is. It is. They're like, but, I don't get it. And I'm like, I, I, but it's I vibrating at a, <laughs> it's vibrating at yeah. a lower frequency Correct. than we are. And this also explains that, um, our body. Okay. Our body is material. And we know from the uh, study of neuroscience that our brain has an electrical field all right and so we know from the laws of thermodynamics and physics that energy is neither created nor destroyed only transferred from one form to another right we know and that's a from, law now i mean that that's considered that, that's a law, a law that is in not modern science right right okay. right and and then you look at what every great spiritual teacher has said over thousands of years that the soul the consciousness the who and what we are is not created by the brain it mirror or, or the body it comes into the body and when we die moves on after the body expires right. so i developed the term the electromagnetic soul to explain what we really are which is pure consciousness that is eternal electromagnetic energy and the most complex electrical field in the body is in the cerebral cortex in the brain the most powerful electrical field is in the heart which makes sense because it's a pump boom 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 it's got to yeah. work 24 so it, 7 but the you're talking about like with the heart math com- hold on the oh, most sec the second most complex bundle of nerves in the body is in the solar plexus and that is second only to the cerebral cortex in the complexity of of um, electrical activity and so that's why I explained that there's two receptor areas in our body, the pineal gland in the brain, which is about four inches behind the center of the forehead, the proverbial third eye, and then the solar plexus. People in yoga, they talk about the solar plexus. And the reason it's called the solar plexus is because the, the nerves and the ganglia, they, they radiate out like the rays of the sun. And these are the two receptor areas for what's known as psychic and mediumistic activity. They pick up on frequency. So that's why people who are parents, if something happens to their child and they're not, you know, uh, they, they didn't get a phone call or whatever, and they get this feeling in their stomach. Um, guys, we call it gut instinct, gut feeling. Uh, women call it women's intuition. Well, there's a reason why we feel it there because we're picking up that vibration. And then the pineal gland is where we get um, auditory, visual, and data type messages. So, and the electromagnetic soul Think about it, Chip, as your brain's a computer hard drive. Now, your computer hard drive did not create Windows 10 or Windows 11 or or the Apple programs. Yeah, Yeah, it's a piece of hardware. But it stores all of that and all of that data. Right, and when it crashes, hopefully you're connected to Dropbox or the cloud, but but in in this analogy, when it crashes... Well, technically, isn't that the afterlife frequency? But anyway, I digress. That's exactly what that is. I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I know you're going to explain that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what that is, is the afterlife frequency. That is our cloud. And it's not some nebulous, airy-fairy thing orbiting Alpha Centauri. 
It is <laughs> right. a dimension which coexists with our material world dimension. Right, right. So I've got a question about, so as I was, I read about all this in your book. I've done my own research prior to reading your book. So here's my question though. I know the heart, I know you're familiar with this, the Heart Math Institute, you know, basically that there's, there's the, the number of brain cells that they now know are in the heart itself. I've heard them refer to that as the second brain, but you're talking about the solar plexus. Right. But yet to your point, when I start trying to not use my conscious brain, which is like 10% of what I do every day, and I try and tap into the, the true conscious or the unconscious part of, of me, I can do that very easily by dropping, I've been training myself to drop into, what I'm referring to is dropping down into my heart. But based on what you're saying, because I feel it, am I dropping into my heart or am I dropping into the solar plexus? Both? There's the question. Well, it could be both. And because there is a school of thought that there's a spiritual component to the heart, you know, because there's similar cells, you know, neurons. Uh, well, neurons are in the brain. Okay. And, but, but they're saying I'm, there's, the Heart Math Institute is saying there's, there's, there's gray matter in the same cell. Right, no, I understand. That's what there. I'm trying to explain. And then, yeah, and then it reacts. Sorry, I apologize. Again, like I that's said, I pretend, I pretend to know what I'm talking about. You're, go ahead. That, that, that's what I'm again. trying to explain. Um, I, I, I'm still of the school that it's the pineal gland and the solar plexus are the yeah. two main receptor areas. Yeah. And the heart is sort of the barometer. So when we receive oh, emotional okay. impulses in the solar plexus, also, you know, when you get that panic feeling in your heart, your yeah. heart's sort of the dashboard, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Or when you see somebody that you're attracted to or you love and you get that thud, thud, thud. You know, the heart is, is the barometer. It's the reactor, whereas the other two are the proactive. They're the, the, um, the senders and the receivers, and the heart's like the red light on the dashboard. So... This is interesting, Mark, because you may have, through the, what you're talking about, which now makes more sense to me, you may be actually trumping a little bit or tweaking the heart maths research that they did, where they did all that reaction studies. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they yeah. measured which, what triggered first. Was it the eye to the brain or the heart? And they were finding the heart was a millisecond early. What if the solar plexus is actually faster than the heart, but they couldn't measure it? And that's, yeah, because it's like solid right? state circuitry as opposed to an old Correct. computer hard drive that's got the, remember, remember when you had to turn so they're off actually measuring, they're measuring it phase, had to cool down? Right. Yeah. They're measuring phase two, the heart, as the start point when actually it might be starting in the solar plexus even faster, but they, well, didn't, we, they have no way of measuring it at the moment. We also have that's to realize. We also have to realize that the body has an electrical field and nerves right. run through everything, and it's and that we're an integrated system. But um, the the soul, the electromagnetic soul, is housed in the brain. That's where the most complex. Uh, but put it this way: but it's you can fluid. have a heart tran. You can, hold on. You can have a okay. heart transplant, and that yeah. doesn't change anything. Correct. But you can't have a brain transplant. Okay, and at this point, you can't even have not, a pancreas transplant. Take my dream away. But well, <laughs> but the thing is, <laughs> I'm banking um, on that, man. I'm banking on a brain transplant. Are you kidding me? That's that's. I was, I was well, it would be that. interesting. I, I want to get to pick the body. You know, I want to get to pick the body. You know, but uh, just assemble uh, it like right? a, like a GI Joe. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool. But um, but anyway, it was Leonardo da Vinci 
who did the first serious study on the location of of the soul. What, and because in Da Vinci's time in Renaissance Italy, the senso commune, the the common sense location, was it the brain or was it at the heart? And you know, Da Vinci. Uh, dissection was forbidden by the Catholic Church. I mean, you could end up yourself getting put to death, but, you know, he was da Vinci, and he like, eh, whatever. And so he spent years doing uh, dissections on human bodies in secret, and he said that the heart is a magnificent organ, but it's a pump, and but the brain is so complex that he concluded five centuries before we had the technology to start doing brain mapping with uh, positronic emission tech, uh, tomography, EEGs, electroencephalograms, and QEG, qualitative electroencephalograms, he concluded that the common sense location for the soul was in the brain. Right. But then this is what I find interesting. You've got Buddha and these other teachers, documented teachers, prior to him, really in my opinion, and again, I kind of learned this from your book, with a much better understanding of how this really works. Then I feel like Europeans came in, all this stuff started, and they started to take it. It's, it's like we went backwards, right? Backwards towards what is today modern medicine, right? Where they think everything's just biological, right? The thought is that the brain produces our emotions, our thoughts, i.e., our soul or personality, which is not the case, right? And science, quantum physics is now proving, now it's like we're swinging back. So it's weird. It's like we were there. <laughs> we basically, as a, as a global civilization went backwards. Well, not everybody. Western civilization went backwards. Um, Eastern still understands it, has for 10,000 years. But we went backwards. And now it's, it's like it's making a flip, like as if we had, it's, it's, it's almost the, 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 the height of hypocrisy. It's like we went, Oh, no, it's not that. Quantum physics now shows us, dude, you're talking about what Buddha talked about. You didn't invent that. Well, here's why. Because <laughs> right? with, with Western, once the Enlightenment rolled around, and I talk quite a bit about him, Sir Isaac right. Newton, and Newtonian reductive materialism. Right. And Newton was a really interesting character. Um, he's, what people don't realize is he spent more time studying the Bible looking for hidden and encrypted messages than he did science. Now, right. this is the guy who invented calculus, the laws of optics, the laws of motion, laws of gravity. I mean, wow, talk about Mr. Science. And he was brilliant. The funny thing is, Newton was supposed to be one of the nastiest and meanest people you could ever meet. He would, like, insult people's intelligence and all this. But anyway, he became Sir Isaac Newton. Yeah. And thanks to him, he essentially created physics, uh, at least, yeah. uh, the, you know, in the beginning phases. And like you said, the pendulum swung back because now... European science was beginning to measure things. And what Newton said is uh, nothing exists below the um, molecular level. Right. Because the, the microscopic world was uh, basically a miniaturized version of, of uh, what we can see. But you can't fault Newton for that. He didn't have an electron microscope. He didn't Correct. have 20th century technology. Because if he did, I think he would be along, you know, with uh, certainly he'd be in the ranks of Einstein, Max Planck, uh, Michio Kaku, Max Tegmark, um, Niels Bohr on, on uh, quantum physics. And so I call it the Newton paradox. He spent more time studying the Bible than he did physics, yet he 
believed in God yet not in the soul or an afterlife. And I find that paradoxical. So by the 20th century, with the rise of quantum physics, we've already had 200, 250 years of Newtonian material reductionism. But now we're seeing things exist beyond the atomic level, on the subatomic level, and that things are energy which are interconnected. So now we're swinging back to gee, maybe these spiritual teachers of thousands of years ago had an understanding. You know, it's like... It's, tri um, it's tripping people, it's tripping all these scientists out, right? Because they think they were, they were being trained and taught, right? It's, it's all like this. And then all of a sudden they start finding these things and they go, I don't have... And I'm like, wait, don't... Schrodinger's cat was the beginning of the whole thing, right? Like yeah. they noticed... <laughs> like I, I was reading Einstein w was part of a team, right? And right. so... They would observe when they were doing the particle test through the slot, right? They'd observe a certain result. And then the other team would come in and see something completely different. Same experiment. Right. And they'd come back and they'd see something else. And Einstein was like, what? This is, is, it, is it who's watching it actually changes? That doesn't make any sense. It goes against all Newtonian physics, right? To your point. So exactly. Now flash forward, we've got more technology more ways of looking at the universe, space, molecular level and stuff, and it, the mystery just gets bigger and bigger. And truly, the only answer is, is kind of where you're going with, where you went with your book in the afterlife frequency. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, I'm but, just fascinated but by this. Your point's very well taken. Science is not a static state. And, you know, right. I'm, I'm, I'm a speaker at a lot of conferences, like the International Association for Near-Death Studies, the Edgar Casey Center, um, just to name a few, and we talk about this. Then there's people saying, "Oh, well, has this been peer reviewed?" Um, traditional science doesn't believe this, and it's like, I hate. That. Yeah, well, traditional medicine used to bleed people. Okay, so <laughs> and nobody and, and, peer reviewed you know, it. They just did. Yeah, it. And, and no, nobody refuted <laughs> that. Also, we have to look at the scientific fiction science fiction of today often becomes the science fact of tomorrow you know people right. say well yeah you know your theories are nice but uh, they use the word pseudoscience but in 1916 albert einstein theorized gravitational waves he said they would occur when two black holes hit each other and then they would send this energetic wave throughout the universe that would affect everything Fast forward 100 years to LIGO, the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Observatory detected gravitational waves and tracked them to the collision of two black holes that happened 1.8 billion years ago. Whoa! Okay, so... So, you know, and it's funny when people say, well, I don't believe in astrology. And I, I keep an open mind about that stuff. I mean, I hear, you know, hear stuff and they say, oh, well, you know, stars that far away couldn't uh, affect us. Really? Well, it took 1.8 billion years, but something that happened to two stars affected us and our planet. And those gravitational waves permeated our Earth and continue on. And I was, I was uh, trying to do the math to figure out how far... That is, okay, 1.8 billion years. A light year is the distance that light travels in a year. Right. Well, that is 5.3 trillion 
miles. Now multiply that by 5.3 trillion by 1.8 billion. I mean, my computer didn't even have enough room for yeah, all the zeros. Smoking. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it came to something with the 21st power, meaning there's 21 zeros right, in, right. involved. I mean, these are immense distances. But what does that also prove, Chip? The very essence of your show, that we are all interconnected. Something Correct. that happened 1.8 billion years ago. That That's Correct. unfathomable for us to to grasp how Correct. I mean the dinosaurs didn't even exist then. And by okay. the way, that theory does not care about whether you have a wall at your border or not, whether your no, stock market it's whether is you're purple, blue, communist, what color of your skin, what your religion, uh, yeah, religion exactly. Is, it, yeah, it doesn't exactly. give a crap. It it's we're all it, exactly the same. And, and it well, astonishes yeah. me because when I look around ever since I was a little kid, and I know Mark you probably did the same thing. I would you, you hear all these things, right? You hear, you know, you might have somebody you come in contact with somebody who's very racist, right? Based on their upbringing and kind of programming yeah. they went through, right? And you hear their their vernacular and how they're talking about it, and then you see stuff on the news, and then you see riots going on, and you and there's just, and obviously as an attorney you saw all kinds of stuff, you know, related to what I'm talking about. But even as a little little kid, I remember thinking, but there's ten fingers, nose, mouth, eyes. Right, genitalia, arms, legs, everything's exactly the same. Explain to me again why that person, because of the shape of their nose or the color of their skin or what country they came from, is different, has a greater or lesser value, is smarter or not as smart. It doesn't make any sense. How right. can we be different? It's, we're not different. It, it doesn't make any sense. But and then people would try and explain. Well, oh well, this is the reason why, and and it's still yeah, you, that you fundamental cord never changes right so now go beyond right. the 3d reality i'm just that that's just talking about our avatar avatars that we're walking around in you're now taking it we're talking about a whole nother thing where there's not just hey we we look the same there's a elemental at a microscopic beyond what anybody can see scientifically connection not only to all of us as human beings but not even in the body and it's right. shared by everything on the planet, including the planet itself, and then the universe, and we just keep going. Like you said, now the zeros just keep going on and on and on, right? Right, and the, what happened is something that occurred to two stars 1.8 billion years ago ultimately affected us. Right. And, you know, so this whole thing that, uh, you know, we're not interconnected, and people say, well, I can't wrap my head around that. And you know what? That's okay. And here's why. The brain is a organ in the body, and it is designed for finite perception because everything that we know has a beginning, a middle, and an end. We're born, we grow older, and but then But that's we the die. program. That's the so program. is it the brain but, has a limited capacity or is can, it? Can I finish? We're, we're being limited. Sorry, I'm again. I'm sorry. Chip, Chip, Go you got to let me finish, okay? Because <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm no, getting to Mark, that. No, Mark, you can uh, tell me okay. to shut up anytime you want. Keep going. Well, no, but the point is, the brain is a, is an organ designed for finite perception, beginning, yeah. middle, and an end, and that's why humans have developed the concept of time, 
because time on the subatomic quantum level doesn't exist. And when people say, well, I can't wrap my head around it, that's okay because you're not designed. Like, you know, when you talk about God always was and always will be, okay, people are like, I, I-, I can't get that. The thing is that think of the-, the body like a bottle and the brain is the cork, the stopper, and it is the interface between the spirit, which is inside the bottle, and the connection with the uh, other, you know, with the afterlife frequency. And so that when we die and the cork is released, the spirit reverts back to an eternal state. Because when I communicate with spirits and they'll talk about eternity and these concepts that, you know, my brain can't exist and they tell me basically don't worry about that, focus on what you're capable of perceiving now. And so that's why people need to realize that just because you can't grasp infinity doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Einstein explained it like this. He said that a four-year-old walks into a library and looks at all the books. The four-year-old knows that there's things written in the books and that somebody wrote them, but doesn't understand what's in them. He said, we're the four-year-old. Right, exactly. So, so from a frequency standpoint, right, there's also, if I'm not wrong, there's also a quantum. So let, me, let me back into what I was saying before. Okay, sure. If, is, it a, is it a physical restrainment of the brain that limits most people from understanding this or get, they get to a kind of ceiling for them? Or is it simply the program that they're under, that we're all under, that says this is your ceiling, and the minute you start talking above it, because now it starts to dissolve things that they've been programmed is their world. So I'll use examples like religion, uh, political party, country, race, you know, uh, gender, whatever it is. Right? They're taught this is your yeah. limit. We now the minute you start talking beyond it, they go, well, wait a minute. If I do that, then I have to let go of. I have to like break my ceiling. I, I don't understand. Yeah. Is that? Well, I, so meaning, I, I does the think brain have the physical it, capacity to understand it? No. Um, okay. It's like um, a pair of binoculars. Okay. You can take it and maybe it'll make something look 12 miles closer, but the pair of binoculars is not designed to. All right. The only form of electromagnetic energy visible to the human eye is light. And so you have a pair of binoculars and you're looking around and that pair of binoculars and including your eyes cannot see ultraviolet, cannot see infrared, cannot see gamma rays, x-rays, radio waves. There's mechan- um, biological mechanical limitations. Biologically yeah. can't, but those things still exist. And there's technology now where we can measure the different forms of electromagnetic energy in the EM spectrum. And so the brain is designed for finite perception because we're living in this material world having a finite experience. Now, nobody has all the answers. I have insights, but I don't have all the answers. And it appears that we come into this incarnation to lead a finite perception because we can experience things here that we can't when we're a pure electromagnetic soul. 
because pure energy doesn't get sick, old, tired, or die. Spirits are connected. Other spirits connect to other spirits. I've used this analogy a lot. Your electromagnetic soul is like a drop of water. And when you die, that drop of water plunges into this eternal sea of souls. That's what I call the collective consciousness. Right. You maintain your individuality, but now you're patched into this vast kind of like cosmic internet, if you will. And that's why, Chip, and, and you've seen this during, you know, when I'm doing readings, how spirits will bring forth things that far exceed the scope of anything they knew in this world. I was doing a reading yesterday, and I'm I bringing something up, and this woman says, well, he didn't know that. I said, well, he may not have known that when he was living in this world, but he knows it now. And then something else happened because her daughter came through, and it was really odd because the first thing, and, I, and when something's odd, I always know that that's right on point. I said, your daughter's talking about Minnie Mouse. Minnie Mouse. And there's a pause. And it was a phone reading, so I'm hearing a pause. She goes, oh, my God. She said, after my daughter died, I was going through her things, and I found this sweater. It was a Minnie Mouse sweater. She says, I didn't know she had it. I never knew uh, where she got it from. I said, well, what do you think your daughter's telling you? She goes, I have no idea. I said, she knows that you did that, but she was dead. I go, that's right. She's a spirit now. And as an immortal living being, she is able to move at the speed of light. And she's letting you know that she was aware that you found this Minnie Mouse sweater. She goes, oh my God. I said, well, because I don't just fling out random Disney characters hoping to get right, a hit. Right, you know? right. It's like, I mean, seriously, something like Minnie Mouse. And, and, and I'm not being facetious you know, when I say that, is that spirits are able to move so quickly. And because once again, electromagnetic energy, everything in the electromagnetic spectrum moves at the speed of light, which is 186,282 miles per second. That's almost 400,000 kilometers per second. It, because there's a notion that, that some of my colleagues who are mediums that as above, so below, not in the least. Um, spirits are not invisible humans with our same limitations, nor are they limited right. to what they knew in this world. People say, yes, but a spirit came through and this medium told me that they were sitting at a cafe in Paris sipping wine. So, well, what they're doing is they're creating a point of reference, a cafe in Paris that you and I can understand and sipping wine. So they're in a place they really enjoyed visiting or that they loved and drinking a wine that they really enjoyed because can you and I really understand what it's like to be pure energy moving at the speed of light and interconnected with an infinite number of spirits and having access to eternal information? Absolutely not. So what they do is they do the proverbial, they create the library that you know the Einstein's four-year-old walks into because you and I can, can relate to that. And so that's a, a common mistake that a lot of mediums and a lot of people receiving readings, they're like, oh, they're eating such wonderful foods. No, spirits don't eat. Energy doesn't need to eat. Okay. Um, so, so it is through quantum physics that, that I'm, my work is to take the understanding of spirit communication out of the Victorian era and into the 21st century and explain it on a rational and logical basis in a way that anybody can understand. So here's a question I had as I was reading all this, because I was getting these visuals and kind of having little epiphanies and things like that based on other stuff that I've read and, and, and been studying. So here's my question. If, if the brain is a, a hardware, 
the uh, electromagnetic soul comes down from the collective consciousness, consciousness, or as some people may refer to it as the field, or whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. It's all yeah. interconnected energy, light energy, right? Einstein also talked about that as well, right? And energy right. can't be created or destroyed. So now it's coming down. So if this is just an avatar, right, in the lifetime that you're in, you're connected so that you're now, the electromagnetic soul is here in this brain. The brain's not creating it. It's just reside, it's holding it, right? You're experiencing right. all of this stuff. But according to quantum physics, and this is, um, I know you explained this, but I want to make sure I got it right. You're also simultaneously still connected to right. the collective consciousness, right? Sure. So Yeah, because so, we're all, uh, yeah. But the collective consciousness has a far greater expand. Obviously, it's all connected, is right. unlimited, meaning it doesn't have the limitations of the physical brain. As you just said, brain can only do so much. So basically, when we're down here in this lifetime, uh, we're using the paper cup with the string to, you know, that that's basically the best we can do the average person, right? Uh, connecting, you know, understanding communications. So interdimensional communication, you, for whatever reason, genetically were born with uh serious radio. Um, you've got our super advanced, <laughs> uh, uh, you don't have the paper cup with the string. Yours is. Uh, you're 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 receiving right you're a transceiver right much more advanced than the average person that's why i want people to understand like this is mark's not cold reading he's this isn't a par parlor trick no, like it's it's yeah, a I mean, scientific how, how thing get, that's happening exactly mini right. mouse over the telephone okay right and this woman just happened to find a, a sweatshirt or, or sweater that her daughter had with Minnie Mouse on it. I mean, I, I, you know, I give a lot of examples of that in the book. No, it's not cold reading. Um, cold reading is a carnival sideshow act. Um, um, the vast majority of readings that I do, especially in the COVID era, are on the telephone. Right, right. And I'm getting information about people that I, I couldn't possibly know. Right. I mean, here, here's an interesting thing that happened recently. I was doing a session for this gentleman and his wife over the phone, and this, this guy's father came through, and I get two snakes, two snakes. So I'm thinking, all right, they must have had snakes, maybe a snake. Or uh, the other thing I'm thinking is the medical symbol, you know, the staff with oh, yeah. the, the yeah, two yeah, snakes absolutely. on it. So, so I'm explaining that to him, and he says, well, I think it's Native American. Now, I'm not one of these psychics that whips out Native American stuff like, oh, there's a teepee, you know, because I, I, see, I see people do stuff like that. If I get it, I explain what it is, and I said, well, why do you think it's Native American? He said, because my father was full-blooded Sioux, S-I-O-U-X, Sioux. Yeah. And he said, I never met my father. He died when I was a baby. He goes, but somehow I feel that it's Sue. Now, during a reading, I tell people, we always go with your interpretation over mine. The reading's not about me. It's about you. I am just the radio, the device, the, the medium that it comes through. Right. He said, but I don't know what it means. I said, okay, make a note of it. Let's move on to the next point. Okay, so the next day, I received an email from this gentleman. And he and his wife, they found a book. And they took a picture of the page. In the Sioux language, literally, Sioux means two snakes. Wow. I didn't know that. Right. He didn't know that. Right. Now, why would I cold read something like that? Uh, two snakes. I mean, come on. You know, if I said, oh, you had a puppy. I mean, who hasn't had a puppy, right? But two snakes. And secondly, I don't speak Sioux. Then people say, well, maybe you're reading his mind. 
if I was, first off, how do I do it over the phone? That's, a, that's and also secondly, a cool trick. <laughs> yeah, and secondly, how do I read something that isn't even in his brain? Right. Okay, and so when you start looking at evidential mediumship, you know, because people say, well, there's no science for it. Yeah, there is, the afterlife frequency, and it's not just there's me. There's, um, there, there's a lot of studies that are being conducted um, at universities around the world called Survival of Consciousness, Near-Death Experiences, which show that when we die, our EMS, our electromagnetic soul, survives the physical death of the body. Uh, Near-death experience research is fascinating because over the past now, I'd say 50 years, we've had five decades of the scientific method being applied to these incidents where people die yet they live to tell about it right you know they they come back and and uh, they're resuscitated i've got some friends uh, that have actually experienced that yeah yeah Yeah, i have experienced it both my parents experienced it yeah Yeah. and um and it's it's by far more common than we think and what's fascinating is uh one of the 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 doctors who endorsed the afterlife frequency dr jeffrey long he founded the near-death experience research foundation enderf Right. And Enderf's cool because it's a database for experiencers all over the world. And near-death experiences have very common factors. Okay, a lot of people think, oh, well, this is just religious people who believe this. Guess what? Enderf's database receives reports from doctors in Iran, China, right. Korea, Russia, Countries that are not Christian, countries that are conservative Muslim, all over the world, and they're reporting the same phenomenon. And elements of what they're reporting have a string of similarity, even though the people right across are completely the board. unrelated, right? There's no way right across they the could board. have known or, you know, they're coming from different cultures, different backgrounds, age groups. It doesn't really matter. Oh, Everything's all the same, right, throughout history. Yeah, it's being reported. Exactly. Right. Throughout history. And one of the most fascinating is uh, Dr. Kenneth Ring. He did a study on people blind since birth who have near-death experiences, and they give a visual account of what happened. And that's really cool because, all right, they never were able to see from birth, and now they're talking about... They're expressing things that they believe to be colors, where people were in the operating room, objects in there that they've never seen. Then there's people who say that, uh, the skeptics say that a near-death experience is merely a byproduct of the dying brain, secretion of the chemical dimethyltryptamine, DMT. And because DMT is a natural hallucinogen, so basically when you're dying, you have an acid trip. Well, yes, DMT will give you the sense of floating, the sense of spirituality, but what it doesn't give is traveling through a tunnel into the light and communicating with deceased loved ones and veridical, right. truthful perceptions. Right. And there was a situation where uh, this young woman in Japan, she died on the operating table and the doctors were able to resuscitate her. And when she came out of it, she said to her parents, she goes, it's so strange because um, I'm so glad that you're here, but in, in that near-death experience I saw my sister and that cannot be for she's alive and her parents started crying they said she died in a car accident last night you didn't know this right now how is that a side effect of a dying brain exactly now here's where it gets even better 
now the realm of shared death experiences. And I go into this extensively in the book where somebody who is actively dying, uh, they could be in hospice and or under some other form of medical care, and people in close proximity to them begin to see the and, and maybe the person who's dying says, oh, I'm seeing loved ones who've died, and people in close proximity began to see them too. And not just family members and close friends, but hospice workers, healthcare workers. And I go into great detail in the afterlife frequency explaining how the frequency of the person who's transitioning, the frequency of their electromagnetic soul, is interfacing with the higher vibration of the afterlife frequency and those vibrations in turn are interfacing with the EMS, the electromagnetic souls of the bystanders. Right. So basically everybody's getting caught up in the same frequency and people will see spirits, they'll see a light come out of a person's body when they're dying, they'll experience the life review, the person's life flashing before their eyes. It is really fascinating and this is the new frontier in afterlife research which is is being reported once again worldwide. So these are all some of the things that, that I'm discussing um, in this because the afterlife frequency isn't just about mediumship. It's about all the forms of after-death right. communication. NDEs, near-death experiences, shared-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, mediumship, um, direct visitations when they come to you in dreams uh, or, or you, you see them around you. So that's why I wanted to put out a serious scientific work to explain how all of this, Chip, all of this is explainable through quantum physics. So like as an example, when you're talking about that shared experience, right? Right. How is that any different scientifically, right, than Tesla's free energy, right? That if, if he had the ability saying basically we're going to pull this out of the ether. Well, if that's scientifically as possible, now they've proven that what you're talking about is the same energy, right? It it's is. all the same field. Yeah. So how is, so why would anybody, I guess my, this is where I start to, like you, I get a little frustrated sometimes because <laughs> yeah. I'll explain the science and then they're like, yeah, but that, you know, it's, they, they hit their ceiling again and they go, nah, but you know, now what you're talking about, I, I don't believe, but you, let's go back. <laughs> Energy can't be created or destroyed. Got it. It light is energy. Got it. Extends throughout the whole universe. Got it. The molecules and everything, everything's made of the same thing. It's just different frequency. Do you believe that? Yeah, I do. Okay. Tesla, do you believe he, he had the ability to create free energy? Pulling it out of the field? Yeah. So what, what Mark is talking about is just another version of all that science, but it's not detached. It's not, it's not like he jumped to a crazy, you know, theory. Right. It's all based on the same science. So why all of a sudden do you go, you know, the, their brains go, oh, no, I can't accept that. You, you just, you, they, there's a line in the sand you just went past. I think fear has a lot to do with it because yeah. people fear the unknown. Plus, you know, people have, it's been put into them to fear spirits, you know. I mean, look at all the, the shows on TV. They're all scary. Uh, you know, spirits are and demons and all that nonsense. Um, people are, are programmed to naturally to fear the unknown. Right. 
That also gets into the us versus they syndrome. They're different Correct. from us. Therefore, we fear them. Okay, their skin is darker. They must be bad. It's like, yeah, well, let's get past that. All right. Right. Um, but, but the thing is, um, there's the unknown. Also, it's out of the realm of a lot of people's experience. The other thing that, that we Yeah, have but here's to, the thing. Is it? Yeah. Because I think a lot of people have had the experience, and they just – this goes into your awareness you talk about. Right. I don't think they're aware. Well, uh, but they're and, actually, and they've actually had the, it. The fear also gets back to religions. Oh, these right, are demons course. impersonating a loved one. You can't do that. Um, and the only way you can get to God is through us, our dogma, our clerics. And by the way, you have to give us 10% of your income. All right. So <laughs> I was, you know, I knew you were going to go there. I'm like, <laughs> he's, he's going to go political. He can't not do it. And I want to because it's, well, it's, the, the you, thing is, you can't disconnect big... it, right? It's no, you, you see can't the string. because yeah. it, it, when you look at all the religions, they're filled with people who what we now would call mediums or yeah. psychics. Yeah. You know, I, I was um, reading about the Church of Latter-day Saints, and they said that, oh, well, you know, those are bad spirits, you know, that, that show you these things. Yet, Joseph Smith received a visitation from angels, and Brigham Young was known to have the gift of discernment. Okay, so basically, they're being described in psychic and mediumistic terms. The Bible's loaded with people who have communicated with spirits. Right. Okay. I mean, we could go on and on, and, and I chronicle a lot of this, and or I do. Well, you you this quoted you quoted Tesla, who said, "What one man calls God, another calls physics." The laws of physics, and the thing is, that says it right there. Problem. I don't have a problem with faith. The problem with faith is that a lot of people aren't practicing their faith. Okay. I hear people all the time, I'm a Christian, I don't believe that, and you're wrong, and you're bad. Okay, and I say, whoa, 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 where did Jesus <laughs> Should he say cast... be trusting? The... Yeah, well, yeah, 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 where did Jesus say cast the first stone? Right. Okay, where did Buddha say start a war? <laughs> okay. Um, no, you're right. You, you, you don't see that, um, and a lot of people need these belief systems, which, if they follow the teachings, all the belief systems are about peace, love, understanding, and what the purpose of this show is about, that we're all one human family. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, how Jesus taught through parables, when someone asked him, well, who is my neighbor? And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which you know, I'm sure we've all heard. Well, a Samaritan, they were the bad guys. They didn't like Jewish people. But what happened in that parable? The Samaritan came to the aid of a Jewish man who was severely beaten and on death's door and rescued him. Because Jesus said... He is our neighbor. We are all each other's neighbors. Muhammad says in the Quran, you should find seven neighbors in seven directions. In other words, everybody right. is our neighbor. And so that's a reoccurring theme. I think Gandhi, Gandhi said it best. What religion is God? <laughs> yeah. No, it's true, right? It's so, true. It, it, um, so that brings me to, to another point. The The... When you're talking about this energetic field, so we're talking about the afterlife frequency. Einstein referred to energy as light. Right. When you're talking about certain religions, and I'll go into the one that tends to be the dominant in the Western culture, right, which is Christianity. I was raised, my mom was Methodist from, from Oklahoma. Uh, my dad was Catholic. His, and my grandmother, his mother actually was, was sent to a convent 
for high school or uh, I think for elementary school and high school. Um, so he had Catholicism. And then we magically were raised Episcopalian. I went to a Trinity Lutheran private school. Uh, my public high school was about 98% Jewish. Uh, and my wife is Jewish. Um, and w- when we were trying to find a place to go, even though she's more um, uh, progressive, conserv- well, between progressive, pro- progressive and conservative, she was raised conservative, but really enjoys progressive and a mix of the two. But here, as you know, you know, it, it, it's, it's an island and uh, we had the Chabad. Right. And Chabad is like going back a thousand years. And so we'd go to services there just because it was close. And my wife hates it because they separate the men from the women. And there's all this dogma, you know. Yeah. And there we go again. You know, it's it's all this. But I would sit there and she'd go, I don't understand you. How do you like this? And what I used to say to her, and I've told you this before, it's like watching the Discovery Channel. Are you kidding me? I'm watching the rabbi up there. They're all circled around the tour and they're and they're davening and they're doing all this and they're speaking in 100 percent Hebrew. And she's like, aren't you bored? I'm like, I am fascinated. This is incredible because then the guy he's so willing to talk that we just get into these like esoteric conversations. And I go, you know, we get into uh, talking about the Kabbalah and, and the history of it and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, it's fascinating. I'm not I can I love being here to see what it is they're thinking and feeling and where it all came from. Cause it helps me then understand the stuff that I was taught. And then also kind of also makes me feel like, Hey, I've checked it all out. You know, all the main ones. I've also now delved into, you know, Buddhist teachings and things like that. And I'm trying right. to find that common thread. So when, I'm, when we're talking about all this, one of the things that hit me reading your book was the statement in, there's two things in the Christian Bible. Right. Which we all know the Old Testament is actually the Torah. A lot of Christians right. either don't know that or don't want to acknowledge it. Um, but it is uh, as as the comedian Lewis Block said, yeah, uh, Lewis, it, Lewis Black yeah. said, uh, I hate the fact that, you know, you you took our book and you call it old. Right. The, uh, as a Jew. And you made your new book and you call it new. And he hates that. that they're like, you took our book and call it old. And your your book with Jesus is new and all shiny. Um, but in that, you know, if you talk about the New Testament, what did he say? God, now let's refer to God as energy, is in right. all of you. There yeah. isn't one up here and down there. It's actually through all of us. And then my next question then goes to the Old Testament. Let there be light. Is that the start of this energy field? And is that the Big Bang? It, Just it very well could it very well could could be and you know uh, the Catholic Church actually endorsed the Big Bang theory back in the 1920s. They um, also have a huge astrology and, program, so yeah, yeah, studying so, space. I- exactly, but you know, I mean, we could sit here all day and, and look at metaphors from from the Bible. Right. Um, I I don't discount the Bible, but I look at it more as metaphorical as opposed Correct. to literal. Correct. You know, because I was having a discussion the other day with a, a Christian radio host. He had me on there, and and he said, "Well, you know, well, what would Jesus say?" And I go, "Well, nothing in English." <laughs> I mean, English dude, I've has had a so language. many, I've had so many awkward conversations about people. I even just start with the 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 modern photos 
of Jesus, how, how he looks like he came from. Well, we Norway. all know Jesus and had like, blonde hair, blue eyes. He looked on, like an man. ocean Pacific. Yeah, I mean, Jesus had blonde hair, blue eyes, and he carried a surfboard and was an ocean Pacific model. I Correct. mean, it's I it's funny because you know when you travel throughout Europe. In Holland, paintings of Jesus, he looks very Dutch. In Italy, he looks a very Italian. In right. England, he looks very English. You know, and it's the same thing when you're in Asia. Um, what Buddha looks like in Thailand is very different than China or in Japan. Right, and that's because, and and I'm not faulting that either. No, we create these. It's easier for us to interface with God through the loving personage of Jesus than it is to try to understand a quantum electromagnetic field that interconnects everything <laughs> everywhere and is timeless. Right. Okay. Which and then, by the way, makes us all the same. There is no difference. Then that means there is no Buddha, Allah, you know, et cetera. It's, we're, we're actually all the same. And people go, oh, I don't want to be the same. Yeah. Right? Isn't that yeah. kind of what holds and, us back? And, and the thing is, and for, for our Christian listeners, I'm not saying that, that Jesus, you know, was not Jesus and was not great. Oh, very real is, person. It's, very real person. Very, <laughs> yeah. it's, and Ben, it's very, Jesus is very relatable. Right. Um, and should be. Yeah. Because that's, that's what he was all about. Same thing, Buddha, very relatable. So anyway, we're, we're kind of. We're not really digressing. Uh, we're, we're along the same. No, no, no. We're trying to expand. We're expanding upon again. What what I'm trying to stay focused on for, for your book, for what I'm trying to do with the show is we're. This is real. This is not, you know, out there. It's not uh, 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 made up. Um, it's very, very real. And if we could all start to learn to just expand our consciousness, accept and and actually, this is a good transition. Tell me about Raft, because that's what Raft does for us. And I'm talking right. about and it, the non-Mark Anthony's. Yeah, Raft will be a great way to, to close close the there show. You go. I was trying to ex figure a way to explain to people who are not mediums how they can understand spirit communication. Because, you know, we all, spirits are around all of us. And I had hit a brick wall. I just had the dreaded writer's block. So I thought, all right, let me go clear my head. I was gonna go for a walk on the beach, which you know I live near the ocean. So I'm walking down my driveway and I get these cold chills and tingles. And I'm like, okay, that's some type of spirit communication. And I do an about face and instead head down this bicycle path near my house. Right. And it's around 11 in the morning and I see these two objects shining in the light. And I walk up to them and it's a nickel and a penny. And my, both my parents are in spirit, they've passed on. And I hear my mother's voice saying, if their head's down, don't touch it, it's bad luck. And I'm laughing because <laughs> my mother's family was Italian and they have a superstition for all occasions. And then yeah. I hear my dad's voice, it's money, grab it. And so I'm laughing. So I'm holding this, 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 this nickel and this penny in my hands, Chip, and I'm looking, I go, oh, six cents. I go, sixth cents. I go, yeah. okay, okay, okay. They're trying to tell me something. Cold chills and tingles intensify. In my mind's eye, I see an image of my dad. All right, the Navy SEAL, the scuba drive, diver, the swimming instructor is holding this blue canvas raft. Remember those old blue canvas rafts with like the yellow sides? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and he used to have that, a raft yeah. like that. Yeah. And I'm going, a raft. And then it fills my mind. And I hear both of my parents, Mark, you have to teach people how to recognize signs from spirits, accept the contact is real. 
feel it without overthinking it and trust in the message. I run back to my house. I flip on the computer. I'm like, come on, come on, boot up, boot up. <laughs> and the words just flew out of me. Yeah. I did like 10 paragraphs. And then I realized, okay, they walked me through Raft. Right. I felt cold chills and tingles. All right, I'm recognizing the the presence, the signs, the spirits. I saw the coins. Okay, I picked them up. I recognized the sign, accepted it as real. I felt it without overthinking it. It's the third part where people overthink things. Yeah. Oh, it's just a coincidence. My imagination, uh, it's a hallucination. That's where people fizzle out. And the, I call it the no, no, no syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Get through that, then trust the message. Now, here's the, the key. Trusting the message. We live, we've, uh, humanity's always been crazy, but we live in crazy times where people say, spirits came to me, I received a divine revelation to start an insurrection or to put on a bomb vest and go blow up children somewhere or to do this. Messages from the divine, from the afterlife frequency, from our right. loved ones in spirit who are extensions of the will of the divine, of God. Yeah. are never about anger, bigotry, hatred, or violence. People who claim that, those messages are not from spirits. They're from the human ego. The ego is what is created by the human brain, Correct. not the spirit. Ego, edging God out. The spirit, messages from spirits, are about love, healing, resolution, and protection. And that's the difference and so the raft technique can be used to help make sense of all forms of spirit communication not just a situation like that but maybe you have a dream and you wake up and you felt that it was real so you recognize accept feel and trust the messages if you go for a session with a medium like me and messages come through recognize accept feel trust you can also use raft to make sense of a near-death experience a deathbed vision shared death experiences out-of-body experiences and that's why this was presented to me because it was a way for people to understand the healing power of spirit communication and that these messages are from the light which we call god right so so here's and i think i think we've told you this before but my wife and i have this happen um i honestly need to credit you um with the experiences that I've had, like attending your group sessions, we've done some some solo sessions, but with the group ones in particular have really allowed us to um, create that awareness, right? So that uh, what do you how do you refer to it in the book? Sp spiritual awareness? Am I spiritual situational awareness? Situational awareness. Okay, so yeah. we definitely have honed that in. Uh, we were leaving a session. And my wife was really upset. She'd been really, really wanting to connect with her mother, right, uh, since her mother passed. And her mom doesn't come to her in dreams, doesn't, you know, she has not, no, like, in her opinion, doesn't have any direct communication. Um, however, her mother loved license plates. Anywhere they traveled, even if it was for a short trip, always played the license plate game, right? So yeah. what, what happened was we're leaving, and we're, she, my, my, my grandfather had come through, uh, et cetera, very clearly, uh, but nothing from my wife's. And she was so upset about it. And we're, I'm trying to calm her down, whatever, and everybody's trying to pull out of the parking lot. And this Cadillac juts in front of us. Now, the, the sun had gone down, so it was, it was dark, so we have headlights on. And illuminated on the back of this Cadillac says Rita. That's her mom's name. 
Okay? Perfect. So we both look at it and go, what the hell? And we look back at each other and go, what the hell was that? And when I look back, Mark, another car is pulled in. I try and look around. That Cadillac is gone. Gone. And ever since that day, and I said to her, I go, your mom just yelled at you. And we started laughing. I go, that's, she's just went, oh, really? I don't come through? Boom. Now, she knew, to your point, she knew that Nancy would immediately, which, by the way, also, your your sister's name is Nancy? Uh, No. Oh, I thought you had uh, a, a good friend. A good, good friend yeah, Nancy. a good oh, friend that I write about is Nancy. Anyway, yeah, who's a fellow psychic. Yeah. So anyway, so Nan- so she knew that she would pick up on this ever since that day. We can we can be worried about something, having a discussion, whatever it is, and all of a sudden a car, and it pops out like we're so aware we can not pay attention to any license plates, and then all of a sudden one is like the guy jams on his brakes or cuts across in front. And it's always something that has her mom's initials. It'll have the numbers add up to her birth date. And it's always, we always perceive it as she's interjecting into the conversation, right? Sure. Whatever it is, yeah. we're getting a message every time she does it. For me, I'll be walking around the house and all of a sudden um, my mom used to sing uh, these old songs because you know, I, was, I was born, I was the youngest of five kids. My parents were 40 years old when they had me. Um, so, you know, uh, my mom had all these old songs from <laughs> the 40s, th- these little jingles and stuff that she'd sing and hum to herself. And one of those, I'll just start singing it, like, out of nowhere. And in that moment, I'll go, oh, hey, mom. Like, because I know she, that's you know that's her. In. So it's yeah. that awareness, right? Exactly. Very good. You're, you're doing it. You see, and, and when you start employing the raft technique, Correct. it becomes second nature like Correct. it now is with you and yeah. your wife, Nancy. Yeah. Awesome. Very well done. But that's electromagnetic signal that's coming. Exactly. In. Right. I call those frequency I, I tuned, beacons. I tuned, I tuned yeah. the radio, right? We, you we, tuned we, the radio. Tuned, we matched up well, for that moment. You're open and aware. You're recognizing, accepting, feeling, and trusting the messages. And once you start doing it, it starts, you know, really moving right. uh, very fluidly, very quickly. Well, Chip, I want to thank you for having me on the show. It's just been great. Absolutely, um, Mark. Always fun uh, for everybody out there. So let me for for the YouTube watchers. It's the Afterlife Frequency. You can get it on Amazon, other booksellers, etc. Please go read this. Uh, I believe in my heart it will help you not only in your own personal life, but it'll help you with everybody around you. It'll help you with this planet. Um, we need to raise the frequency or the vibration of this planet and move to, to the next level. Uh, Mark's other books, for those, you know, again, just because I've read these also, uh, we've got Never Letting Go and also Evidence of Eternity. Again, you can find those at your booksellers. But uh, almost think of it as an evolution, right? If you're if you're going through something, you want to learn more about this. I do recommend get all three, read, you know, start with these, jump, you know, and go right into the afterlife frequency. If you kind of feel like you don't, ah, I don't really know the science. I get jump right to the afterlife frequency. Then go backwards. That's fine because uh, Mark will start you with the science and then lead you back to to things that will start to feel more natural for you so mark anything you want to say before we sign off yeah um i'm inviting all the listeners to sign up for my newsletter and if you want to find out about a private session with me um please go to afterlifefrequency.com that's my website same as my new book afterlife frequency 
Also, check out my calendar of events because I am doing spirit communication events online. I've got a couple coming up in February. And all that you can find out about AfterlifeFrequency.com plus how to tune into my show. It's live every Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. The Psychic and the Doc. And Chip, it's a great show. I gotta have you on my I gotta have you on my show because I've actually, uh, Mark, we, you didn't know it. I've actually called in. Uh, I called into to I the show. I thought that was you. I saw a chip <laughs> I was going to text Florida. you. I'm like, now nah, I'll just leave it as a mystery. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing is, um, uh, I'm the co-host with Dr. Pat Basili. She's yeah. a behavioral psychologist. She's a hoot. And But the point of the show is all about um, our theme this year is 2022. It's all about you. So, Chip, thanks awesome. for having me on the show. I hey, appreciate it. Mark, one really quick thing. I try and end every episode with this. Uh, I'm trying to make it a, 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 a consistent thing with Blue Rock. It's a quick word association. You can answer it with a word or just a sentence. But when I say the word peace, what comes to mind? Hope. Awesome. Okay. The word love. Deserving. Perfect. And lastly, the word aloha. Fun. Because uh, I've been to Hawaii a bunch, and I just love Hawaii. <laughs> aloha, it's, yeah, aloha is, is it's such a beautiful language, the Hawaiian language, because aloha is both hello and it's not so much go by as it is so long. And it's a connection, right? They mean it as a it connection is. that we're all it's, the it's same. So with yeah. that, thank you, Mark Anthony. This has been Blue Rock. And for all of you, as always, find peace, lead with love, and live aloha. Mahalo, Mark. Talk to you soon. Thank you. God bless. Thanks. Namaste.